Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300 is about you, the listener. We want your feedback, opinions, recommendations, and questions. Email us or leave us a voice message and you might hear us mention you or play your message on the podcast. Just go to the homepage or contact page at charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the links to email us or leave a voice message. It's easy to do. Let's have some fun together. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. You can subscribe to Charlotte Readers Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms. And the best part is, it's free. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, this is episode 308 of Charlotte Readers Podcast, Beyond 300. Uh, We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did putting it together. I'm here today with uh, Sarah Archer. Uh, Hannah LaRue is on maternity leave. We miss you, Hannah, but uh, she'll be dropping in from time to time. But we do have a guest host with us today, uh, Alyssa Pressler with S Novel Books. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, you've been uh, real good to give us uh, book recommendations. We're going to talk more about that in S Novel Books in a little bit. Uh, But first, let's uh, talk about what we got on today's episode here. Uh, In addition to our community news and our reading uh, recommendations. Uh, we have a great lineup. We've got a got an author feature, Caitlin Jane, uh, author of Passports and Pacifiers, Traveling the World One Tantrum at a Time. And Hannah did that interview. And I think it's perfect because Hannah's now got a little baby girl. And so uh, that was a great interview for her to do. And uh, we also have... Yeah, we also have our uh, two-minute tip from Charlotte Litt. Paul Reale is bringing us a tip called Words Will Not Write Themselves. So very intrigued to hear what that's about. Uh, and then after that, we'll uh, talk about the community blog by Leslie Hooten, uh, titled Community Blog Post, My Characters, My Friends. Yeah, and finally, we're going to uh, review some helpful articles uh, from that community blog about writing and the business of writing uh, that were some of our earlier um, episodes. Uh, as you know, listeners, uh, if you're a writer um, and you want to get, uh, you know, get your name out there on the uh, on the podcast, uh, you can... Uh, Submit a blog post of 750 words or less, and if we accept it, gosh, we're going to talk about you in the newsletter and on the podcast and play it as well, so a lot of fun. So, uh, hey, without any uh, further uh, delay here, let's get into Act 1. We've got uh, writing community and host news and book recommendations, and um, I'm going to start out with uh, this uh, writing community announcement from the Charlotte Writers Club, because uh, they've got a contest for writing, and let's hear what they've got going on. Hi, I'm Dave Collins, president of the Charlotte Writers Club, here to whisper a suggestion in your ear, maybe prompt you to do something you've been thinking about for a long time. If you're hearing this, you're a fan of the Charlotte Readers podcast, and the odds are better than good that you're an avid reader. Both of those are good things, readers and the Charlotte Readers podcast. Writers need readers, and readers need writers. Who could ask for a more fulfilling, symbiotic relationship? But does a body have to stay on one side of that line, reader or writer? Years and years ago, when I expressed surprise that a second cousin had decided to run for office, my father offered an easy explanation. 
Scratch a lawyer, he said. Find a politician. Over the years, I've wondered how many other things you could scratch and discover something else just under the surface. I'm convinced that a version of what my father told me is true about readers. Scratch a reader, find a writer. If that's you, even if you think it might be you, a good way to find out is to enter the Charlotte Writers Club's Flash Fiction Contest. The, sh the submission period is open now and stays open until midnight on October 18th. Can you create a convincing setting, develop a character or two, tell a story within the confines of 500 words? You won't know until you try, and you know deep down inside that you want to try. For more information, go to our website, charlottewritersclub.org, and click on the contest tab on the left. We're waiting for your entry. All right, so the fun part of that is it's uh, only 500 words or less. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. You can do that in a day. Knock yeah, it out. <laughs> now, Lisa, do you, I know you run a bookstore. Uh, that's Novel Books. Do you also write? I do, yeah. I, I write for fun and for pleasure. Nothing super competitive yet, but I hope to one day get to that mm -hmm. level of confidence. Yeah, and we're going to talk more because uh, you're going to be with us for a couple of shows here uh, helping us out. But uh, that's Novel Books. Um, Tell us where it's located and uh, a little bit about it. So That's Novel Books is a used bookstore. We're located in Camp North End, specifically in a retail collective called Locay. So we're a business within a business, which confuses everybody. Um, but it means that in addition to used books in our shop, you get to shop with a bunch of other local Charlotte businesses as well, as well in one spot, which we really love. Yeah, that's out Camp North End. They had the Van Gogh exhibition out there was pretty cool they also have some different things coming through yes. from time to time and that's developing that area is developing fast isn't it yes very quickly there's constantly construction happening and new businesses opening up and being announced so it's a really uh, fun area to be a part of all right well, remind me later to talk about silent book club i want to get back to that but uh, sure. we, we got another thing we want to uh, share with you um some more local news uh charlotte uh, Center for Literary Arts um, has an October lineup, and uh, let's hear what they got going on. I'm Paul Rielli, co-founder of Charlotte Lit. Thanks for inviting me on to talk about our calendar for October 2022. First, a highlight from our writing classes. We're excited to have Sarah Archer, novelist, screenwriter, and Charlotte Readers podcast host for A Glimpse into Hollywood Screenwriting on October 13th. For podcast listeners everywhere, we have a fantastic four-week asynchronous writing class, which means you can take it on your own time from anywhere called The Art of Detail with Megan Rich. That starts October 23rd. Next, we have something big, a series of events we're calling Artists Reckoning with Home. In October, we'll celebrate the art and legacy of acclaimed artist Romarie Bearden, who was born and spent his early years and many summers thereafter in Charlotte. Though Bearden's working years were spent primarily in New York, he understood himself as a Southerner, eventually claiming, I never left Charlotte except physically. Charlotte Lit co-founder Kathy Collins was inspired to create these events by a new book from UNC Press, Romery Bearden in the Homeland of His Imagination, an artist's reckoning with the South. The author, Glenda Gilmore, will be here for a talk on October 19th in partnership with the Mint Museum Uptown. We'll host two other Bearden events. On October 12th, a night in Brooklyn at Stu Studio 229 on Brevard. And on October 16, writing with Bearden, an ekphrastic workshop 
at Mint Museum Uptown. All these events are free. More details at charlottelit.org slash Bearden. Finally, October is the final month to enter Charlotte Lit's Lit South Awards. We offer $7,000 in total prizes plus publication in our journal Litmosphere. Final judges are Melissa Fabos in nonfiction, Avan Jordan in poetry, and Bryn Chancellor in fiction. You can find all of this and subscribe to our newsletter at charlottelit.org. We hope to see you there. Okay, lots of good stuff there. Uh, more writing opportunities. And Sarah, you're going to be uh, teaching there in uh, October. Yeah, it's so as of when we're recording this, it's coming up next week. So I'm putting together my, my class plan and everything. Um, it's going to be a good kind of overview into, you know, how films and TV shows get developed and um, what might make you a good screenwriter if maybe you've had fiction writing experience, if you're interested in trying screenwriting and some insights into how you can uh, potentially get your work out there from outside of L.A. So I'm super excited about it. Yeah, any news on your uh, screenplay, where it stands now? Um, still in the development process. I got a new set of notes end of last week, so I've been uh, working on those and writing that new draft. So um, it's it's going well. It's a smaller round of notes every time, which is good. <laughs> it means go. you're moving in the right direction, so I'm excited about that too. <laughs> All part of the uh, revision process. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Charlotte Litt, there, uh, there was a nice article in the Arts and Science Council uh, newsletter on their website recently about the thriving literary scene in uh, Charlotte and uh, lots going on there. They mention a lot of authors. They talk about Charlotte Lit and what it's doing. And uh, uh, they also give a plug for Charlotte Rift Podcast. So go check that out. It's uh, at the Art and Science Council uh, website. Uh, I think they call it What's the Word? Helping local writers find their voices and create a community of authors and poets. So that is going on. We do have that. And, and Alyssa, I know you take it from the uh, – from the side of selling used books, but you're really a bookophile. So you see this a lot in Charlotte, this uh, writing community. Absolutely. I constantly get questions asking for writing events through that's novel, which will um, hopefully develop here someday when I get a break. We also have a, a Charlotte authors section in particular. Those are the only new books we carry are by local Charlotte authors. And I get requests daily from folks asking to put their books in the store. So I know that there are a lot of writers out there in the city, which is so great to see. Yeah, just a shameless plug here. I think Deadly Declarations is over there, so we can. It sure uh, is. <laughs> you're always marketing, so whatever you know. So <laughs> you know. Uh, well, uh, so we got um, one more uh, little piece here about local news, and it's it's an important part of the Charlotte community because in all the Charlotte. Mecklenburg Library Foundation. So let's hear what they have to say about Verse and Vino. Verse and Vino is back in person this year. Hi, I'm Maggie Bean. I'm the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library Foundation's marketing person. And I'm here to tell you a little bit about the ninth annual Verse and Vino, an evening of great writers, great wine, and you, our library supporters. We are featuring a ton of amazing authors this year. Um, New York Times bestselling author David Baldacci, Adriana Trigiani, and Sarah McCoy, plus newcomer Javier Zamora. We also have a fifth author, which will be announced shortly, who will just um, blow your mind. We also have Sherry Lynch back, our wonderful MC for the past few years. Um, The event is expected to draw over 1,300 library supporters kind of across the county and beyond, and we hope you will join us. 
the um, tickets are available online on our website at foundation.cmlibrary.org slash first hyphen vino. Or you can just type first and vino in your Google search and we will pop right up. I hope you'll be able to join us. Check us out. Check out our amazing authors. And I hope to see you there on November the 10th at Charlotte Convention Center for Verse and Vino. Thanks. All right. If people don't think there's a lot going on in the reading and writing community in Charlotte, they're just not paying attention, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, speaking of some of those uh, authors, um, if you miss David Badalci because you can't make it to Verse and Vino, I've just uh, lined up an interview with him. Uh, so we'll have him on the show sometime and. November, December, um, that'll be coming up. Um, he's, he's, I think he's releasing two books this fall. I've already read one of them. Another one that's coming out, uh, another Memory Man book is really, really good. I just read The 620 Man. We'll be talking about those maybe when I recommend books. But uh, I guess, let me see here, what do we got? Uh, oh, and Hannah, you just, uh, I mean, uh, Hannah. Hannah. Hey, Hannah. <laughs> She's here in spirit. If you're, out there, if you're listening. <laughs> Sarah, uh, you just got through interviewing uh Therese Fowler for the mm-hmm. Charlotte Writers Club's 100th celebration, another New York Times bestselling author. And uh, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we had a great conversation, great questions from the audience, including from Landis, which was nice. Um, yeah, she's she's celebrating her newest book, It All Comes Down to This, which we actually had an interview about on the podcast. I think it was episode 307, which just came out. So you can go back and listen to that as well. Um, yeah, but she's she's such a great writer. She's written such a variety of things, and she has a really interesting trajectory to her career, which we talked a lot about. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend reading any of her work or going back and listening to our interview on the podcast. Yeah, that's great. So, okay, quickly, uh, host news. And uh, Alyssa, you're a host now on this uh, next couple episodes. So what's going on in your world? Tell us, give us an update. Um, well, we are into the thick of planning uh, for events at That's Novel. I try and have a couple of every single month to encourage readers to come together. Unfortunately, this one will have passed by the time the, right. um, the <laughs> episode airs. But this upcoming Saturday, we have local author Malika Steveley coming in. She's going to do um, a book signing and talk about her book, Song of Redemption, which I know Landis, you met at um, the Charlotte Readers Book Club, uh, her, and we're hopefully going to have her on in a future book club discussion. But it's been a very popular book in that's novel. So I'm excited to have her here to uh, promote herself further. Um and talk a little bit more about her journey in writing the story, which is based on a true story, actually, which I think is always really fun for a book. Yeah, and Sarah knows about this book because we had her on the podcast, right, Sarah? Oh, did you? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm sure that's going to be an awesome event. Yeah. She's so um, what, what else uh, do, you, do you have uh, events from time to time in connection with the store? I, I said I was going to ask you about silent book clubs, so now it's probably a good time. Yeah, that's um, also coming up this week, but we do it once a month. It's always on the first Thursday of every month. Um, And Silent Book Club is an opportunity for folks to come together and read whatever book they want, which I think is a a departure from your traditional book club. Um, So you bring whatever book you're interested in reading at that time or that you're in the middle of. We come together, we get food, drinks, talk, share our books with each other. And then for an hour, we read silently together um, and individually. And it's so much fun. We have a blast. There's about 30 or so people who show up every single month for it. And it's still growing. That's great. And, uh, you know, in November, we're going to have another Charlotte Readers uh, Book Club, which is a collaboration between That's Novel Books and Charlotte's Podcast and Story Charlotte Blog. So we'll 
talk more about that later. But uh, Sarah, what's going on with you? Um, I mean, I think I've already talked about most of the things that are going on with me right now. Okay. So I've got the script that I'm working on. Um, over the weekend, I just did this event with Teresa Ann Fowler and the Charlotte Writers Club, which is wonderful. And I've got my class coming up um, as of when we're recording this next week on the 13th um, with Charlotte Lit. So that's open for anyone who wants to attend and learn a little bit about screenwriting. And yeah, that's about it for me. Um, other uh -huh. than that, just trying to stay warm. I always start to freeze this time of year. So... <laughs> And in abstention, you will mention that Hannah's news is she's got a baby girl. Her name is Gwen, yeah. and she's uh, home taking care of her. And as far as my news goes, when this uh, releases today on October the 11th, which is when it will release, uh, I'll be speaking to a retirement community and a book club that day about deadly decorations. Uh, and if you'd ever like to have me come talk about uh, that historical mystery set in Charlotte, uh, just uh, check us out on the website. My contact information is there. I'm happy to come talk to your book club or your event and tomorrow night um october 12th uh there's an event sponsored by the charlotte rice club north and the public library in davidson uh, beginning at six o'clock uh, the event's free it's going to be a reading and discussion about the novel and what inspired it some of that history that inspired us so come check that out uh, if you're interested uh, on october 12th and i think that's about it for the news end so uh before we jump into our book recommendations uh listen to this please We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, the fun part, uh, book recommendations. Uh, we are Charlotte Readers Podcast, after all, so uh, let's, let's jump in and, uh, you know, maybe let's... Uh, Let's let Alyssa go first because uh, she's always calling in with book recommendations, but now she's here with us. So, uh, Alyssa, what would you like to recommend today? All right, I'm going to recommend a real popular book right now that I'm seeing all over Bookstagram. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Um, for those who are kind of like an elder millennial like myself, she was a child star when we were growing up on some of our favorite uh, Nickelodeon shows. Um, this is her memoir kind of exploring her relationship with her mother who got her into acting and who was abusive and um, narcissistic. Uh, so her mother ends up dying from cancer. So it's all about her journey with getting into acting with her mother and then grieving her mother and trying to heal from that process. Um, it's incredibly well written. I definitely put a lot of trigger warning uh, kind of on this recommendation. You should look up and make sure that you're in a safe space to read it because it is a little bit traumatic, um, but I think Jeanette McCurdy does a really fabulous job of um, exploring the complex relationship that one has with an abusive parent who they love still, um, but also need to heal from. So I really enjoyed listening to it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, how about you, Sarah? Yeah. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I did that event over the weekend with Teresa Ann Fowler. So I've been reading some of her work um, leading up to that. And I read A Good Neighborhood and A Well-Behaved Woman, which are two of her novels that she's published. Um, a Good Neighborhood is a contemporary story set in a um, an unspecified city in North Carolina, but it sounds like it could be Charlotte or Raleigh, something like that. And it's kind of a, a contemporary drama um, about these these characters in a suburban neighborhood and a new family moves in and that sort of changes the dynamic of things. And it goes in a very 
dark direction, um, but it's, it's beautifully written. It has a lot of really kind of sharp, smart social commentary in it, and it's a very relevant and timely book, so highly recommend that. Um, and then A Well-Behaved Woman is a historical fiction novel about the Vanderbilts, um, centering specifically on this woman named Alva Vanderbilt, who comes from a family who has prestige, but they don't really have money. So she marries into the Vanderbilt family for money. Um, and it takes place in sort of the reconstruction, you know, post-Civil War time period. And she's, uh, even though the title is a well-behaved woman, she's not always necessarily a <laughs> well-behaved woman <laughs> by the standards of the time. Um, but it's, it's a really, you know, fascinating character portrait and interesting look into the culture and the sort of social standards of the time um, and, you know, how class and money function together. So highly recommend both of those books. That's great. And uh, my recommendation um, is the book is Hell and Back. Uh, Craig Johnson is the novelist. It's the 18th uh, novel in the Walt Longmire adventure novel series. Uh, you might remember, listeners, uh, we had uh, Craig Johnson on uh, our 100th episode. You can go back and listen to that. He he lives in, uh, I think, a small town in Wyoming, population 25, he likes to say. So it's a pretty pretty rural area. But this book um, is a little bit different. Uh, Walt Longmire, there's a Netflix series if you're interested in that. Uh, he's the the name Longmire kind of describes the melancholy nature of this character, but he's a sheriff who is uh, you know, solving uh, murders and other crimes in this uh, little Wyoming area of the country. And he, um, in this particular book, it's sort of some magical realism. It's almost as if he uh, he crosses over into another world um, uh, when he is in an accident, uh, and they explore the spirit world. Uh, the the Northern Cheyenne uh, have a monster, and I can't really pronounce the Cheyenne word for it, but apparently it means wandering without the taker of souls, and apparently uh, he kind of runs into that in his uh, in his journey here. So pretty interesting, a lot of fun, um, and uh, I really like uh, Craig Johnson. So good stuff, and uh, hey, as always, we've got a We've got a contribution from Mark West at uh, Storage Charlotte Blog. So let's hear, let's hear what Mark has to say. Hello, this is Mark West with the Storied Charlotte Blog. My recommendation today is a novel called Oblivion, an after-autobiography by Robin Hemley. Robin currently lives in New York City, but when I first met him many years ago, he taught in the English department at UNC Charlotte, where he taught creative writing classes, especially fiction writing classes. His new novel, which just came out this summer, is part ghost story, part memoir, and part homage to Franz Kafka, who is one of Robin's favorite authors. The central character in this novel is a writer who bears a strong resemblance to Robin himself. In the beginning of the novel, this writer dies unexpectedly from a heart attack and then finds himself in a strange liminal space called the Café of Minor Authors. While in this café, he meets many other minor authors who endlessly drink cups of cappuccino and obsess about their writing careers. What the central character wants more than anything else is to escape oblivion, to write a book that will be remembered and read long after his death. 
This is a very inventive novel, funny in places, poignant in places, but at its heart, it's the story of a writer and the story of the writing life. I highly recommend it, and I hope you enjoy Oblivion, an after-autobiography. <laughs> that sounds, what do you think, uh, fellow writers? Uh, do you ever feel like you're in oblivion? Yeah, that sounds like a lot of coffee shops I've been to. <laughs> writers <laughs> sitting around and just endlessly <laughs> thinking about their careers and sipping cappuccinos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and uh, we also, uh, listeners, we take your recommendations too. And I think, Sarah, you had something to report from uh, Instagram. We have a recommendation. Yeah, um, Tammy Uliano, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Tammy, uh, recommends The Girl in His Shadow by Audrey Blake. So definitely a good one to check out there. Yeah, she was on the podcast too. She's a fiction writer. So, uh, and then we also have uh, we had a call in. You can do this by Speakpipe as well, listeners. If you got a book recommendation, and Linda Bashard uh, did just that. She uh, recommended a book. So let's hear what she had to say. Good morning, Landis and Landis's fabulous crew. Linda Bouchard here, author of the children's Halloween book, The Witches Three. Count on me. I'm also the founder of Booking Authors Inc. My book recommendation is by Rick Bragg, and it's titled Somebody Told Me, published by Viking Press. And it's everything you would expect from the fabulous writer Rick Bragg. This is a compilation of his favorite newspaper column pieces. And while some of the stories have names that we know, like Susan Smith. Um, mostly, it's tales of people whose names we wouldn't otherwise hear, of men and women who have survived injustices and have prevailed and are now part of popular culture or not. They have endured, um, but they always exhibit resilience, courage, and of course, it's told with Rick's signature humor. And so these are pieces that are written with unadorned prose, and they're memorable, and they are journalistic gems, gems that have now become literature. All right, everyone, uh, I think knows a little bit about uh, Rick Bragg, Southern writer. I actually took a course with him one time, and he, uh, he he's a fantastic uh, writer, um, but also a good instructor. And if you go back to the very first post on Wade Scripps on my uh, website, LandisWade.com, you'll see uh, a post I wrote called Writing in Color by Rick Bragg. And he talks about, uh, uh, I just laid out everything he told us in that class. So if you want to know how Rick Bragg writes in color, go check out <laughs> go check out that blog post. Uh, all right, one last thing before we jump to the uh, act two. We've, we've been telling listeners, Sarah, we want them to call in with elevator pitches, right? Yeah, and some of them have been doing just that, which is awesome. It's a great way to learn about new books in a really kind of quick, condensed format. Um, so we're excited that you're sending those in. Yeah, and also we're going to be updating our website. Uh, actually, by the time this comes out, it'll be updated. If you go to the contact session, there are a lot of ways to get in touch with the, with the, us here at uh, the podcast, but one of them is going to be elevator pitches. There's going to be a description of how you do it, how you go about it. And this is a great way, I think, uh, for authors to try to take 300 pages and narrow it down to 30 seconds. I mean, and if that's not hard, I don't know what is. But let's hear Rick Prill, uh, who's a local author, friend of mine, also 
member of Charlotte Lit uh, and also instructor at Charlotte Lit. Uh, let's hear what he has to say with his elevator pitch. Hello, Charlotte Readers Podcast. My name is Rick Prill. My latest book is called La Chimere of Prague. Picking up right where he left off in part one, Joseph leaves behind his fairy tale flat. He embraces his new life, the fault trees and the databases. His long, tall obsession, waitress turned supermodel Karina, is back from her Italian fling with her English tutor. She's ready for more. Is it too late? There you go, 30 seconds, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of jump right in there. Yeah, it's, just uh, enough good, to draw good. you in. That's good, Rick. Uh, appreciate that. All right, uh, let's, let's hear this and let's jump to Act 2 in just a moment. If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the costs of this podcast, please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out, and in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Podcast and join up. You can cancel any time, by the way, and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute. All right, listeners, we're here in Act 2, and uh, we've got our author feature with uh, the author's Caitlin Jane. Uh, Hannah, thank you for doing that interview. We thought that was appropriate that you'd do it because the title of the book is Passports and Pacifiers, Traveling the World One Tantrum at a Time. And <laughs> I don't know Gwen, that uh, Gwen's old enough to have a tantrum yet, probably, but uh, you know, I'm starting to see it with every now and then with my 14-month-old uh, mm -hmm. grandson if he doesn't get exactly what he wants, you know, <laughs> in that toddler stage. He's <laughs> but, learning uh, how to ask for it. <laughs> yeah, so Sarah, tell us about uh, Caitlin. Yeah, so I, I love the title of this book. Um, and Caitlin Jane lived in the Charlotte area. She went to Davidson, which we love. Um, she was there on a volleyball scholarship. And then she uh, moved in to Washington, D.C. and worked for USA Today. Um, then in New York, she went to business school. Now she's an author, a world traveler, a coach, and a mom to four young kids all at the same time. Um, she's visited over 25 countries in nearly all 50 states, so an amazing traveler. As she puts it, she has dragged her kids and husband wherever she can along the way. <laughs> and she's been interviewed for writer, traveler, and family lifestyle podcasts. Um, she does reading for libraries, too. Um, in the past, she's written for Chicken Soup for the Soul, and then Passports and Pacifiers is her first book. Uh, so we're super excited to have that featured on the podcast and to hear um, how she and Hannah share stories. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a true story of two crazy parents, as she puts it, traveling with four small children on a budget. And uh, it's gotten nice reviews. The Midwest Book Review said, uh, impressively informed and informative, definitely written, having a wonderfully entertaining commentary throughout, and thoroughly parent-friendly. Uh, and so, good, good recommendation there. All right, well, let's uh, let's listen to what uh, Hannah and uh, Caitlin talked about uh, in that interview. Okay, we are here with Caitlin Jane, who is up in Maryland right now, correct? Yes. I asked that because I noticed in the book that you said that you went to Davidson College. <laughs> I did, I did. I, I love it down there. Yeah, our um, other co-host Landis is actually a Davidson alum, so I had to give that a little shout out. <laughs> Why didn't you stay down? I, I don't love the summers. Yeah. I don't envy you in the summer, but it's wonderful during the school year. Yes. You know, uh, we were just talking before we started recording. And as you guys know, I'm very pregnant right now. And I was just sharing how miserable the summer <laughs> is down here. So I totally understand that. 
Um, so we're here today to talk about passports and pacifiers, which, you know, again, is very fitting for me to kind of be diving into this book and this conversation with you. Um, I, I traveled a lot growing up and I feel like it's, it was never really an option for me to not travel, even when I have kids and stuff like that. And I think for, for this uh, specific book, which I would say is what part travel memoir, travel you know, stories about, you know, your experiences traveling abroad, but also kind of a parenting guide too. Um, it was just really great to kind of read the, through these experiences. I'm actually prepared for this conversation. I have my globe <laughs> coffee mug right here. Um, but so what inspired you to write this book? So, you know, clearly you've traveled a lot in your life. Is that something, did you ever think like, I'm going to write about this? Well, it's interesting. You you mentioned the Davidson experience. And so mm -hmm. when I when I studied there, I studied abroad. And that was the first time I'd ever left the country. And when I went to Australia, I loved the experience. And so after I graduated, I saved whatever I possibly could and made it um, a goal to travel to a new country every year. And so when I had my first child, I didn't want it to stop. Right. And so I wanted to figure out how I could travel with children. Um and, and make sure that I still was maintaining that travel that I enjoyed so much. With regards to the book, um, we, my husband and I were traveling with our four children in Scandinavia, and there was just something that happened, and it was just so ridiculous. And I was like, why in the world am I here with four children in Scandinavia? <laughs> but it was such an amazing experience that I was like, other people should do this. Like, it is, it is just so amazing to be here in such a great place, even though everything went wrong yesterday, even though my kids <laughs> melted down, they wouldn't nap, whatever it was. Um, but just being there and experiencing it with my family was just one of the most rewarding things in my life. And I wanted to share it with others. Oh, that's amazing. And I love how kind of the subtitle of the book is traveling the world one tantrum at a time. So I'm sure you experience like <laughs> a whole world of tantrums, especially having four kids. You have four kids, right? Yes. Oh my yep. gosh. And on that trip, my oldest was only seven. So yeah. um, quite little kids. Right, exactly. So it's not like they were, you know, teenager or able to, able to kind of do their own thing during the days or anything. You guys totally responsible for keeping them entertained and everything. Um, did you keep like a travel diary or anything like that? Because it's kind of, I mean, you describe so many different trips and experiences and, and really great detail too. I mean, it's, it's, and it's also a funny book, I think. Um, you have a great kind of humorous tone to your writing. Um, but I was curious to know just with all of the detail, I mean, all of the things that you did, did you kind of keep like a record of all of that or how did you organize those thoughts? Yes. So I absolutely love keeping a travel journal when, when we travel. So I know what we did, you know, when we did it and just how I was feeling at the time. And once I realized that I wanted to write this book, I was writing down more of what the kids said to me, you know, what, cause they say funny things, you know, whether you're traveling or not, your kids say funny things. And so I just started writing those things down as well so that I could, you know, have some of those, those funny things that they said, but yeah, keeping a travel journal is key. <laughs> What's one of the funniest things you like you can think of off the top of your head that Brooklyn said, your oldest? All right. I'm gonna need a moment for that one. <laughs> we can come back to it if you want. <laughs> oh, no, I, actually I I have a good one um for my second child. Um we were traveling and I was traveling cross country with them on a road trip and you know, we're driving along. It's been silent for you know, a long time for kids for probably five minutes. 
And my second goes, I have thousands of questions for you, mom. And I'm like, oh gosh, what's she going to say? And she's like, the first question, why was that car on fire? The car was on fire an hour ago, you know, but she wanted to know why that car was on fire. And we'd already discussed it, but you know, it was like, why was that car on fire? Did anyone die? Did, you know, all these terrible things. And she's just going on. And then the next question is something like, oh, did you see the rainbow or, you know, something totally unrelated, you know, with kids, you just never know what they're going to say. Right. Oh gosh, it's so funny because you can probably just like see her face sort of processing what's happening. And so it takes her an hour to ask like, why was that car on fire? How do you feel like, so traveling with four young kids, do you feel like, um, how do you feel like that's already impacted them? Can you see in different ways just for each of them, just how that sort of, um, what's a good way to put it? Just like changed them at all or made them think about things or just communication styles I realize they're still pretty young but is there anything you've kind of noticed in them since your travels absolutely I I think you know they they want to travel and they enjoy it and as they get older they want to help plan it they want Mm -hmm. to participate in what we do so over the summer we went to the Pacific Northwest and my son who's seven was like, I want to see the orcas, you know, that was his big thing, or I want to see where the dinosaurs are, whatever. So they want to help plan. And, you know, they get excited about what they can see in the world. And they know that, you know, we're not limited just to our little place in Maryland, but they can see lots of different places and meet lots of different people. Right. That's amazing. And I think too, something that I really took away from reading this is um, just your descriptions of your relationships with your kids and your husband too, and how travel has kind of impacted that. Because it sounds like the two of you, and I don't know, is it still the case that you have different travel styles? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I can imagine that that kind of strengthens your family too, just kind of through these experiences, just sort of working your way around. I mean, because traveling with somebody, I feel like that's one of those things you hear when you first start dating someone or something, you're like, when you travel with somebody, that is like the true test of the relationship. Um, do you feel like that's something, you know, like that has really kind of strengthened your family as a whole over time in your marriage? Absolutely. I think that my first off, my husband and I have very different styles, as you mentioned. He's yeah. much more spontaneous. I love mm-hmm. to plan. And so <laughs> those work well together with travel because I plan, I have everything plotted out, but then he picks the restaurant or he figures out what we're going to do when we have those two hours of downtime or he changes my plans completely. And it's fun for all of us because we're doing something new, but we have something scheduled so that we know what we're doing. We generally know where we're going, but you know, that spontaneity is is something fun for all of us. Right. I think that's amazing. And I think um, it's a good balance too. It's, it's nice to have the planner and the spontaneous person. I am the spontaneous person. My husband's the planner. (laughs) So um, it's always good to have both of those things. I think that's great. Do you have any helpers as far as planners and your kids? Not yet. Um, (laughs) But yeah, they've started, they, they pack their own clothes and, you know, they, they tell me what they want to do. So that's definitely something that, that they're working on. No, I think that's great. And so I feel like too, with, when you were writing this book, um, were you kind of thinking like you wanted it, like, how did you want it to kind of come across? Did you want it to be more of a travel guide or like, you know, explaining places that you'd been to? Did you want it to be more of a parent um, guide or, you know, that kind of thing was there? What was, what was the objective in writing this? What did you want your readers to feel like when they were reading it? 
I wanted to inspire my readers and and help them to understand that, you know, travel doesn't have to end when you have children. Mm-hmm. You can still do things when you have kids. Um, one example I have is like, your kids are going to have tantrums wherever you are. So for me, I'd rather my kids have a tantrum in Scandinavia than have a tantrum at the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot more enjoyable (laughs) for me. So I don't have to give up on the things that I like to do. I I may have to slow down. You know, I may have to do things a little bit differently, but you don't have to give up on your dreams just because you have children. So I wanted to inspire people. Yeah, I think that's great. And was there ever a point where you felt like you wouldn't travel with kids? I think when co- when when covid first mm-hmm. happened you know we didn't get on an airplane but we still traveled we went to michigan we went to northern michigan where i'm from and you know we made a vacation of it and just didn't go near people <laughs> during right. covid but um i mean there's still things you can do whether you want to get in an airplane or not i mean our country is so amazing and we've seen it the past couple of years cuz we haven't flown a lot um mm-hmm. but it's still travel and it's still something completely different yeah, and I noticed um, you talk a little bit in your book about just how you sort of transformed your house into a vacation destination, <laughs> which I thought was really great and creative. So just, you know, putting tents in the backyard or doing different things around the house. Um, is that something that you feel like you would carry through and just sort of like at post COVID and just kind of because um, I guess you said, what did you say? Your house was sort of like your your everything, like your world that you traveled everywhere. Have you kind of incorporated that into your daily life now or is it back is it totally back to traveling (laughs) on the airplane I will say that we got rid of the inflatable pool in the backyard thankfully okay um that everyone bought for that month you know of COVID um but other than that you know we, we definitely try to incorporate it into our lives and you know just trying to do new things and experiencing things outside of the ordinary because anything you do with your children spending time with them expands their minds. And so it's important to be educating your kids and teaching them whenever you can. And so my favorite way to do that is through travel. But of course, you know, during the school year, those aren't things you can do. So camping in your backyard or, you know, just doing something out of the ordinary is something fun for them. Oh, I think that's, uh, I love that. I, we actually did that. Just me and my husband, <laughs> we kind of transformed our backyard into like a brewery one day. We had like little flights of you know <laughs> things like that. You got to get creative. Um, so I'm going to pause yeah. real quick and ask if you'd like to read a selection from the book for us. Sure. I'd love to. All right. So let me give you a little bit of background. So this is when we were in Scandinavia. My oldest is seven years old, and we had had a very action-packed day. We had gone to Tivoli Gardens, which is their amusement park right in the middle of Copenhagen. Um, So that night, I treated Brooklyn to the experience I had anticipated for days, an evening stroll around and beyond Nyhaven. That included, just for her, a chance to see the Little Mermaid statue up close. I had gone out nightly in the rain for short jaunts, buying cereal and bananas, but hadn't really explored. The crisp air and night sky exposed the stars, and most importantly, I had my buddy while my husband put the younger kids to bed. What's this? My little girl asked while she posed in front of the marble church, which boasts the largest dome in Scandinavia. Well, the cruise guide said they started building it in the mid-18th century, That's uh, almost 300 years ago. Then they stopped, and it sat in ruins for nearly 150 years. What's ruins? 
It's when things start falling apart, like our treehouse, before we fixed it. It's not really a building or anything. It's like the Colosseum we saw when you were a baby. Construction of the marble church finally concluded in 1894. It's certainly beautiful now, with its copper-green, nearly 100-foot-wide dome. Who's that guy? she asked as we followed the brick path into the square of Emilienburg Palace. The large statue of King Frederick V sat in the center, perched on a horse. I had to read the plaque to answer that one. Denmark has one of the world's oldest monarchies, with the Queen's royal heritage dating back to 900 AD. I was pleasantly surprised to learn that the royal family holds primary residence within the four identical palace buildings that surround the beautiful square and send their children to public schools. On the other side of the palace is the park, Emilienhaven, with its manicured topiaries and massive fountain that enclose it from the waterfront. Brooklyn smiled broadly, sans two front teeth, by two royal guards, den Conga League Livgarden. There's an official daily changing of the guard that's quite popular, though clearly not that late in the evening. Then we walked along the Castellet, a star-shaped military fortress surrounded by peaceful water and well-maintained walking paths overlooking the harbor. As the sun set, I wondered if this wasn't my safest idea, but the route only seemed serene and was actually quite popular. There she there she is, I said to Brooklyn as we approached the sculpture of Edvard Erickson. The bronze and granite statues sat perched on a pile of rocks about ten feet from the shore. Their mermaids seemed quite petite, but then again she was the little mermaid. Brooklyn's eyes grew wide as she saw one of her fairy tale heroes. The statue was compelling, but almost immediately she responded, She's not the real one. She lacked the bright red hair and clothes. She's actually the most real you'll ever see, I said. Her story led to Ariel. Brooklyn thought on that for a moment. I don't know if she believed me or wanted to trust her version, so I left it at that. We found a rock to sit on so we could look out at her. We gazed at her as the waves softly crashed against the rock. The, sunny, the setting sun reflecting pink on the water. The cool breeze lifted our hair, and I pulled my little girl tight for a squeeze. In Hans Christian Andersen's tale, the little mermaid swam to the surface and perched on her rock as she stared lovingly toward the shore at the prince. Now she stares at the state-of-the-art waste facility plant she welcomes travelers to Copenhagen, and people like my daughter stare lovingly at her. That hour with my eldest, exploring together, safe but out of our element, taught her volumes. I think she saw that mommy doesn't know everything, but she's always learning. Mommy trusts me to be out in the world. Mommy wants to share life-altering moments. And if she didn't discover those things, at least she saw the Little Mermaid. She will always remember that. Oh, I love that so much. That's such a great passage. Thank you for sharing that. I think, um, you know, it really showcases, too, just how we're all learning all the time. Um, like what I love the questions that she kind of asks in the beginning too. And you're just like, Oh, I hope I can, <laughs> like, I hope I can yeah. answer your questions. I don't know if I can, <laughs> but you're all, yeah, you, know, you have to make stuff up sometimes. But. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. I mean, it's, I, I have a ton of cousins under five and I feel like that's just like the, the name of the game is just making it work. <laughs> but I think that's such a beautiful experience though. And I'm sure travel really kind of initiates those conversations and just learning for everybody. Um, I just, oh, I love that. Did it ever feel kind of emotional for you writing about these moments? Because that felt like it was very, 
um, you know, was a special moment for you guys traveling abroad, learning something together. When you were writing about that, did you kind of feel those sort of tugs on the heartstrings? When I was writing it, it was relatively recent. I wrote that chapter like within a month after that happened because I wrote the book then, but yeah, yeah, looking back and writing about some of the older experiences or me reading it now is just, it's, it is, it tears at the heart because as a parent, your children change so quickly. And so that is why looking back, that is why one of the most important things is these are the memories that I have Mm -hmm. of my children. And when you go someplace or you do something completely new, you remember it much more than you do doing the exact same thing every day. Right. And it's kind of like a photo album, I feel like. I I felt like that a lot while I was reading this um, book because it really was, it's just so, your memories are very vivid too. You know, you can like, especially when you're traveling in the actual places and things like that, and these conversations with your kids, it's, it feels like you're looking into your memory a little bit, which is a really powerful thing. And as a, you know, parent to be for me, I'm just thinking it's, it makes you excited. You know, I think it's something that you're thinking like, wow, this is, it's gonna be really neat. And that passage you just read, I'm I'm like, oh, that's gonna be so nice to learn things together and not like, I, I think it adds so much to your experiences, which is kind of like what you were saying with the whole purpose of writing this is to encourage people to keep living your life and keep having these experiences. You don't have to not do that because you're having kids. Um, that kind of gets me into the more parenting side of this, like the guide, like the lessons learned. So you you include lessons learned throughout the book, which I think is super great because it's kind of tangible things that readers can put into for, for parents. They can put into their travel practice. Um, so did for that, were you kind of just jotting down things like I know you have some packing advice. I love the one that you're like, find a good all inclusive breakfast. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like something I would definitely prioritize. Yes, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I, I learned a lot as a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, traveling as a parent is different than traveling as a single person. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's critical. And and I learned a lot. So I jotted those down, wanted to make sure that I'm passing along those, those things that you can learn. And, you know, some of those I learned from friends and, you know, they're keys to help you out when you're traveling with kids. Right. Which I think, um, you know, we all need that. <laughs> like, it's nice to have the tips that you can kind of put into your actual lifestyle and schedule and that kind of thing. Um, did you learn? I know that your parents are a big part of this story, of your story and um, the book as well. Did they kind of feed into some of the lessons learned as too? Or did you, what was their response to all of this? My parents love travel. Um, as I mentioned, I, I didn't travel a lot growing up because we, we weren't well off. Um, mm-hmm. But we traveled as much as we could around the country. And so when we went to Italy with my oldest, when she was a year old, my parents wanted to join us. And so my dad helped me out a lot with finding um, accommodation. And so they found us the cheapest accommodation that they could so that we could still afford to go on a budget. And so my parents were helpful with regards to that. Um, So what has the response been from your community, Um, like friends, family, you know, fellow parents, just anything at all? Have you gotten a lot of good feedback from the book? And I'm sure you've you've heard some stories from folks saying how helpful it was if they've taken some summer vacations and that kind of thing. Yeah, I've gotten some really really great feedback from my friends and, and people my age, you know, first it's inspiring for them, 
you know, they love to travel Mm -hmm. and knowing that they can do it with their children and, you know, oh yeah, I had this similar experience happen with me or, oh, did you, you know, did something like this happen with you? So it's, it's definitely helping me as I'm working on my second book. Um, and you know, just trying to get thoughts together on that. Um, one thing that's interesting is the feedback I've gotten from people in my writing group, um, women who are grandmothers now, and they, they love the book in that they remember traveling with their own children and they're excited to travel with their grandchildren now. Yeah. And so that has been an audience that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Very cool. But they have time to read and they, you know, they love like remembering what it was like when they had small children. So, um, that's been really really rewarding I love that it's nice when you find a new audience you know and you're just thinking oh I didn't think think of it like that so that was actually gonna follow up with that and ask if you're writing another book I was I'm like well you're gonna do like you do a teen travel (laughs) when they get older or what is up (laughs) next for you well I'm working on um a few different a few different options but I've got a um spring break travel to Scotland and England. So that will be a short story and um, also a an experience traveling um, girls trip with my mother-in-law, which was very different experience than traveling with my husband. Because um, my husband is a fantastic co-pilot and, and I love traveling with him. So traveling with my mother-in-law is a, is a different experience. Okay. <laughs> I can imagine that would be slightly different. <laughs> but yeah, fun yeah. nonetheless. I'm sure you've learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, I love many, Scotland. many lessons learned there. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to do like a, a whole chapter of the lessons learned, like towards the end. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm going to close out. I've loved talking with you. And again, like this was such a timely book for me to read right now. I was just so, so grateful for that. So and thank you for coming on air with us today. Um, I wanted to kind of close out by one of my by sharing one of my favorite lines that I read um, from the book, which is my goal is to be char- to try and be a creator and not a complainer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was like, yes, I think that is like the best thing ever creator, not a complainer, like everything's going to work out. And um, I think that was probably one of the big takeaways for me reading Passports and Pacifiers was just kind of like, you know, it's going to be fine. Like, like you said earlier in this conversation, you know, like your kids are probably going to melt down somewhere. Might as well do it in Scandinavia. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottereaderspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play or participate in an author or marketing talk or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. All right, listeners, so that's a good segue into Act 3 because uh, we're going to have uh, a uh, community blog post uh, in this act. But before we do that, uh, we've got uh, uh, our friends at Charlotte Lit, uh, who've got a two-minute tip. Paul Reale, uh has got a tip called Words Will Not Write Themselves. So we're going to play that, and then the three of us are going to 
talk about it just a little bit. So let's hear what Paul has to say. Hi, I'm Paul Rialli from Charlotte Lit with a two-minute writing tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. From my many years as a writer, editor, and writing coach, I've developed a list I call the Immutable Laws of Writing. The name is a bit grandiose, I'll admit, but I think you'll find yourself agreeing with them. Here is Immutable Law of Writing number one. The words will not write themselves. It seems obvious, I know, but I also know many writers who do not write. I think what these people mean when they say they are writers is they like to write, enjoy writing, or maybe like to think of themselves as writers. Still, they do not write or don't write very much. The issue for most people is the time to write doesn't just present itself. So since the words will not write themselves, how does a busy person find the time, or maybe more correctly, make the time to write? Here are three action steps, which are also three decisions. One, decide whether you mean it. Decide once and for all if writing is a priority for you. If it is, you will find a way to do it. I don't mean to be simplistic about that, but it is a simple matter. We do what we think is important. So decide whether you mean it. Two, decide what small thing you'll give up and replace that time with writing. Most of us have time fillers a second episode of whatever we're currently watching, a few extra news articles, a little more social media scrolling. What can you give up that, if you're honest with yourself, you won't really miss? Three, decide on a can't-miss writing goal. How about just one page per day? That doesn't sound like much, but it really adds up and fast. One page per day for a year is a whole novel or memoir draft, or six screenplays, or a dozen short stories or essays. So that's it. Three steps. Decide, decide, and decide. And just as the words won't write themselves, these decisions won't make themselves. You have to make them. For more two-minute tips, listen to beyond 300 episodes of Charlotte Reader's podcast, or visit charlottelit.org slash tips. All right, I love how Paul packs... uh so much into this uh, as he does with others, and Kathy does too. Mm-hmm. It just gives us a lot to talk about. Uh, so let's uh, let's get started. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, what do you think, Lisa? I really loved it. It reminded me of, uh, about one of the blog posts that we're going to discuss here in a little bit, um, the one that I read by Miranda Kossoff, who I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, I really love it, and I was inspired after reading that blog post and re-inspired hearing that today to really make writing a bigger core part of my life. And I like that he talked about an actionable goal that we know we can reach. My goal personally for all of October um, as of last night is to take 10 minutes a day to write. I can find 10 minutes. Anyone can find 10 minutes. So um, it's just interesting that that is the audio we heard today because I kind of already committed to this and he's just helped kept that fire going. There you go. Reinforcing, reinforcing. Mm -hmm. Sarah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think this is great advice. Um, and it seems so simple and obvious, but it's it's such a major issue for a lot of writers is just finding the time to write. Even people who write professionally or semi-professionally, I feel like there's always so many other demands on your time. And at least speaking for me personally, writing is it's always kind of the easiest thing to push to the side. Um, it's the easiest thing to procrastinate, which I know we've talked about procrastination on the podcast before too. Um, that's another like big issue for writers, it seems like. But it's it's easier for me to just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go through these emails. I'm going to, 
clean or make dinner or whatever. And then writing is always a thing that I tend to put off. Um, so you do have to be really intentional about it. And I like that Paul talked about that, about actually thinking of it as a conscious decision about what am I going to give up or how am I going to change my schedule and my routine to make the time to write? And it doesn't have to be a huge change. You know, like he was saying, a page a day or like Alyssa said, 10, 10 minutes a day, you can actually get something done. You can make real progress if you do that. Um, and if you just stick with it and keep your work in front of you and don't take too long between writing sessions, I think it makes it so much easier to be productive when you kind of keep that momentum going. Um, so yeah, I think this is really, really valuable advice and something that's worth taking a minute to, you know, take a step back and think about your writing routine and are you making the time that you need to and what changes could you make to make that more of a priority? Yeah, I've been going back through uh, 450 audio episodes, 150 on Patreon, 300 on the podcast and pulling out uh, quotes for a nonfiction book I'm going to put together. Maybe it'll come out next year sometime, but uh, I was listening and heard an author talking about uh, how people would come up to her and say, hey, I've got this great idea for a novel. You need to, you need to write this. And they're like, no. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, if you, if you think it's such a great idea, then uh, you write it. And a lot of times people will think, uh, well, you know, the hard part's coming with the ideas. No, that's not the hard part. The hard part is sitting down and writing. And as Paul says, the words are not going to, not going to write themselves. And I posted on Instagram recently, I think it was my Landis Writes Instagram. So follow me there, folks. I'm playing around on that. Uh, a picture of my chair, the one I'm sitting oh, in now. <laughs> it's peeling. It's peeling because I've had my butt in it for a long time writing. <laughs> so so, so uh, I need to go find another chair. But you know, you find a chair that works. And uh, anyway, it's, it's peeling. But, but the, 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 the advice is really good. Uh, words will not write themselves. And I think 10 minutes a day I mean, that's great. You'd be surprised how much you're going to be able to write in 10 minutes. And then uh, you might be sitting there and go, wait a minute, it's 30 minutes now. And you got to set your alarm. So, because once you get going. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Paul and uh, Charlotte Litt for that. Uh, we're going to jump right now to our community blog post. Uh, Leslie Hooten um, has been on the podcast before. Um, she's writing a series with some characters that. Uh, According to her blog post title, My Characters, My Friends, uh, she is friends with. Uh, tell us about Leslie, Sarah. Yeah, so Leslie is, as she says many things, a fabulous friend, so perfect for our blog discussion today. Um, a powerful speaker, a flower enthusiast, and a lover of language, which you can definitely tell from her writing. Um, her debut novel is called Before Anyone Else, which got a Zibby nomination. Um, she has a second novel called The Secret of Rainy Days, and then a third, After Everyone Else, which is the sequel to Before Everyone Else, was just published on June 28th. Yeah, so we're going to listen to uh, her Blog post. That's another thing, listeners. Uh, you write a you write a really nice blog post. Uh, we might reach out to you and say, please record this, and we'll put it on the podcast and talk about it. Which is what we're going to do right now. We're going to play the post, and then uh, the host here are going to talk about it. My blog that I've written is entitled "My Characters, My Friends." Asking authors to give advice on writing is like going to a cafeteria. There are many selections to choose from. You can really get the advice you want. And the advice is probably what you're hungry for that day. My advice is not so sexy, like the prime rib under the heat lamp, but it works for me. I like to know my characters before I sit down at the computer. 
Creating characters is the fun part of my job. I have heard writers say, write 5,000 words a day, write 2,500 words a day. Well, my goodness, I just keep my mouth shut. To me, a story is always about the people, the characters. The characters are king. I want someone to root for. I want someone to hate. I want someone when they appear on the page, I'm going to laugh out loud. Creating characters is serious business. For me, I have to know the characters so well that I know the funny things they might say. Or for a character like Henry, my famous chef in two of my novels, I need to know some delicious dish he might be concocting to put on the menu. That doesn't mean always spending time at my computer. It means spending time in my head. And it also means spending time in the world observing. I see a vintage dress and I think, would Bailey wear that? Or I see a yummy cocktail. And I think, is that something Griffin might mix up as bespoke cocktails? I walk around with these people in my head all day long. I may only dictate a few words on the computer, but I write lots down in a notebook that that may or may not make it onto the published page. I just need to know my characters. When reviewers describe my characters as old friends they enjoy spending time with, I know I have created a good character. They know that person so well that they have adopted them into their fictional friend group. Characters should inhabit the page fully formed. I have preconceived notions about the characters I create when I sit down at the computer. Sometimes as I write, they do things that shock even me. I figure if they surprise me, they will surprise the reader. Now that's a good day at the office. I read an essay by Ann Patchett. She carries her characters around in her head. She doesn't worry about her own death so much, but she worries that her characters may die in the process. In other words, if she dies, her characters die too. Her viewpoint feels right to me. My second piece of advice is reading. Reading, in my estimation, is key to being a good writer. I love the way some authors lay down sentences. There is magic in how certain words fit together like pieces of a puzzle waiting to be placed together. Reading makes me see what's possible. Reading pushes and guides me to be a better writer. Sometimes reading is just the right inspiration to guide you to give your characters the right push.
I read at night and I love to be able to say, I am dying to know what so-and-so is up to. I just can't wait to know what will happen next to the characters because they have already become my friends. Many people, including my mother, who was a voracious reader and librarian, concluded that it was Shakespeare that wrote all the stories. What came after is merely retelling his original ideas. I'd like to think Romeo and Juliet was the basis for every love story that came after. Although Shakespeare may object to the category romantic comedy. I love taking parts of Jane Austen's England and reimagining them in a small southern town like Erob, Alabama. Maybe you do need to write 5,000 words a day. Maybe that will give you the two or three sentences of a character development to jumpstart your novel. I don't necessarily care whether where the novel is going, but I want to know who I am traveling with. There's no better journey, especially no better book journey, than a journey taken with good, well-developed, and interesting characters. Thank you for having me. All right, so uh, Leslie Hooten's made a compelling argument for characters over plot, uh, which uh, many of the authors who've come on the podcast have done as well. So uh, uh, as a uh, reader of uh, many, many books, Alyssa, what are your thoughts? I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, you can have a really solid story, but if your characters don't feel real, if their dialogue doesn't feel real, it's going to fall flat. Um, and I've read many books like that where I'm like, I love the idea of the story, but it's missing something. And usually what's missing is that realness to the characters, that development that we want to see that um, makes us feel like we know them or know someone like them. Yeah. And, and Sarah, what stood out to you from this uh, post? Uh, so much. She had so many good ideas in there. Um, and I'm definitely a kind of character reader and writer. I love strong characters. So I'm I'm kind of on the same page with you, Alyssa, that like if almost the story and the genre don't even matter, they matter. But if the characters are compelling enough, I just want to spend time with them, even if it's not a story that w- I think would grab me or a genre that I would typically read. Um, and I love how she talked about how part of the writing process is not just the actual writing, even though, you know, as we talked about with Paul's tip, it is important to actually put your butt in the chair and write. <laughs> but part of the process, too, is is just observing and kind of living and thinking like a writer. And as you go through life, observing the world, observing how life works and observing people and kind of trying to pick up on what makes them tick, what makes them interesting, what reveals different characteristics of people to you. And that's something that you can draw into your writing, too. Um, And I also love that she advocated for reading. I think that's a big part of the process, too, is being an observational reader Mm -hmm. and thinking about what makes the characters that 
that you gravitate towards interesting and what makes them stick with you. And you can pull on that for your own writing too. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, stood out to me and this, I think, you know, beginning writers make this mistake. You come up with an idea for a story and uh, you don't even know the name of your character, much less uh, where they come from when you start writing. And uh, she says, you know, you should know your characters first. And that's really, you know, a good idea because, um, you know, it's not to say you don't sit down and do some free writing and that kind of thing, but um, when this particular character that, that you don't know starts to have to deal with an issue or an obstacle or make a decision, it's nice to know a little bit about them and how they might react you know, to that situation. Are they going to be gregarious? Are they going to be despondent? Are they going to do they have a pa- something about their past that's going to come out or be revealed, you know, through these circumstances? So I, I really like that. Um, and, of course, she mentioned the notebook, uh, which, uh, you know, I'd like to think about carrying a notebook, but it never fits in my pocket, so I don't, I'm not good at that. Uh, I always hear women say, well, I always keep one in my purse. Well, I guess I could start carrying a purse. Who knows? But uh, And I like the fact that there's reading, uh, as she talks about here. Um, but but the other thing is, um, and I, I ascribe to this, I like it when your characters surprise you as the writer because when that happens, it's going to surprise the reader as well. And she made that point. So uh, and I'm sure, Alyssa, you've seen that in a lot of books you've read. Yes, absolutely. Um, and to your notebook point, Landis, I started carrying around a little pocket notebook for exactly this to observe and write down snippets of things I find interesting. So the next time I see you, I'm going to have a pocket notebook for you. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Phones are good for that too, you know. Yes. That counts as a notebook. I, I know, yes. I could learn to use that little uh, Helena podcast. I should learn to use the audio feature on my, on yeah. my phone <laughs> and just and just talk to it. Uh, there you go. No, so, so, yeah. So, Leslie, thank you for that uh, uh, inspiration today and uh, for us to be thinking about uh, character over plot. Now, I will say this. Um, I do like characters, but also like uh, a, a nice plot that puts the character uh, in a situation where they've got to make some decisions and they've got to deal with it. I just think the two together uh, make it uh, a, a really fun read because that's part of the story because you have to have a story. You just can't have mm-hmm. a character you know, watching Netflix or something on their sofa. They yeah. got to be, they got to be doing something. They got to want something. They got to go somewhere, you know? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I like the connection of the two. Um, all right. So, uh, we're going to, uh, jump to, uh, uh, I guess it's, uh, uh, act four here. Um, but before we do, let's, uh, let's listen in. We have a newsletter called beyond 300 and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. There you go, Sarah. Thank you for all those uh, little public service announcements. There. Yeah, pleasure. <laughs> uh, all right, Act Four. We're going to do something here. We we we've been telling you, the listener, um, you know, to 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 write a blog post, and we're going to talk about it. Well, we didn't start doing that until Beyond Three Hundred, and we had a number of posts uh, that preceded that on the website. And what we thought we'd do, uh, I wrote a a blog post for the Rage Scripts blog. You can find it at uh, landisway.com and. We're going to put this in the show notes, the links. We're going to put links about the book. You don't have to remember all those book recommendations you make because Sarah's going to put them in the show notes as well. But uh, we're going to go through and we're going to talk about uh, uh, 
uh, 10 of those today, just uh, kind of hit the highlights, tell you what they're about, um, and, you know, maybe an excerpt from each one. It's, um, you know, there, there are a lot of ways to learn about uh, writing. Um, you know, you can go to an undergraduate program, you can go to a graduate program, you can join writing organizations, you can get craft books, you can join writing groups, critique groups, uh, writing coaches, editors, writing buddies. Hey, the list goes on. There's lots of good stuff here in Charlotte. We've talked about Charlotte Writers Club, Charlotte Lit, uh, and we got the Charlotte Podcast, and we got these blogs that are a great way uh, to learn as well. And uh, there are 38 articles on the Charlotte's Podcast community blog, uh, I think, as of the end of August. And uh, so we're going to do, we're going to kind of walk through them, talk about uh, what they are, and uh, we're just going to alternate here. I'm going to start first, uh, the very first blog, since we didn't have any blog posts then. Uh, it was a blog that I did, and the title was A Walk-On Approach to Creativity. Uh, the article explores this sort of walk-on mentality. Um, you know, you don't have to be, you know, some kind of celebrity. Uh, you don't have to be drafted uh, <laughs> into the NFL of writing. You can uh, you can walk on. Uh, you don't have to be anointed by a third-party gatekeeper. You can just jump in with both feet. Here's, here's an excerpt uh, from that blog post. A walk-on is a self-motivated person willing to work hard, a person who loves the activity so much that what the critics say doesn't matter. And that, my friends, is often more important than raw talent. To channel Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic, the universe is going to offer you a good idea. And when it does, you have a choice to make. Are you going to walk off or walk on? <laughs> what do you think, folks? I love it. I just had that uh, similar conversation with a fellow small business owner the other day about the importance of when you have an idea that you're passionate about, excited about, sometimes it's best not to second guess yourself, but kind of like you say, walk on and, and grab it and just go with it. So I, I love that idea. Yeah. And the importance of motivation there too, I think is really big and kind of ties into some of what we talked about earlier with, you know, having good ideas is great, but you have to actually have the motivation to see it through and be willing to, to believe in yourself that you can do it and you can write it. So I think that's so important for writers. Yeah. That's why my chair is peeling. Right? <laughs> it's a badge right, of honor. Uh, uh, Lisa, you're up. Uh, the shame game. Gosh, I really enjoyed reading this article. It was by Rachel Brooks and it explored, um, the one-sided fight that everyone kind of has when you feel shame. Um, this excerpt is great. Everyone has felt or is currently feeling shameful at times. It's hard to avoid. However, if we are more intentional about recognizing shame, we are more equipped to eliminate it. I find that half the time it is something I create in my own mind anyway. So stay strong, stay true to yourself and stay proud of who you are. Um, as a young mom, uh, this blog post really resonated with me. Uh, and in particular, I liked her advice about, you know, really learning to talk yourself up, not down. I think everyone struggles with that negative self-talk, whether it's about parenthood or your writing or whatever you feel like you're failing in. Um, so I love that she gives some tips on how to combat that shame as well. Yeah, Rachel was on the podcast. Uh, you can search her on our guest list and uh, find her episode uh, really powerful story that she tells about her own experience. And this is just uh, an article that talks about, uh, you know, surviving. And I, I like the way she talks about it being a one-sided fight because often uh, shame comes, uh, you know, from your inner critic. And uh, uh, I think uh, she's got some good advice. Your thoughts, Sarah? Yeah, I think that's great advice for not just writers, but for everyone in life, like thinking about are these feelings of shame actually useful to me in some way or are they just dragging me down? 
Um, so I think that's, that's a really important thing to think about and to, you know, to manage your emotions in a way that's healthy for you, um, which is tough. So it's, it's good that she's giving some, some advice for that. All right. You're up next, uh, Sarah. Yeah. So next up, we have an article called Folding Up by Mary Beth Dunn, um, which is one that really resonated with me. She talks about how um, she made basically a a New Year's resolution to um, not pressure herself to finish a book if it doesn't resonate with her. Um, And how, you know, when you what you read the previous year can offer insight and inspiration, but you shouldn't feel guilty about putting down a book that you're just not uh, vibing with for whatever reason. She also gives some good recommendations in there for books that she did read and really enjoyed over the, the previous year. And um, the excerpt here is, I resolve to break the habit of finishing every book I start. Too many aspects of my life are guilt-ridden. Reading should not be one of them. I gave myself two guidelines. I must read the first 50 pages, and if within those pages I haven't made a single notation or underlined a single sentence, phrase, or word, I should seriously think about putting it aside. Life is too short. I think that's that's great advice. Like I, I'm someone who I feel naturally compelled to finish everything, and I feel guilty yeah. if I start a book and don't finish it. But, you know, what's the purpose of reading something? Unless you're reading it because you have to for some reason, if you're just reading for pleasure and to enrich your life, then why are you sticking with it if it's not speaking to you? I I do think that it bothers me when people only read a little bit of a book and then write a review. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. maybe don't do that. But if you're just reading for yourself, like if you're not loving it, then put it down. There are so many other books out there that you can read um, and make the time for those. So I, I think she has some really good advice in there about valuing your reading time and making sure that you're able to to really engage with the books that you're reading and enjoying what you're reading and not just um, reading to check off a box. Yeah, bookstore owner, uh, what do you say, Alyssa? Life is too short to read books you don't enjoy is a mantra of mine. I love advocating for folks to put down books that they are just not in love with. Um, and to the point of, you know, really valuing your reading time and making time for it and and, um, you know, getting something out of it. I think it goes back to what we heard earlier with the advice to really value your writing time. It's all about making time for what you find important. I think reading is important. I think writing is important. So even if it's 10 minutes a day, picking up a book and a book you truly enjoy is a game changer. Yeah, no, no kidding. Well, I was thinking about this because, you know, sometimes read beyond 50 pages and I'll get to 100 and I'll say, all right, well, look, I've gone this far. I need to finish or I've wasted, <laughs> you know, the time that I read mm-hmm. and I keep going. I'm like two thirds away and it's not getting any better. I'm like, OK, but I only have so much. But I got I got to adopt this rule, because if you think about it and as a writer, be thinking about this, too. If you don't capture their attention in the first 50 pages. Uh, they should give up on you. <laughs> you know, I mean, the first 50 pages, they should know something about your characters. They should know something a little bit about where it's going and what the challenges are and that kind of thing. So, yeah, pull us in in 50 pages and. uh you know, get us get us going there. All right, which kind of leads into the next blog post um, uh, by Nora Gaskin. It's called The Formula, Add, Subtract, Reorder, Clarify. Uh, this article focuses on the four elements that Nora uses in her editorial approach. By the way, Nora has been my editor. Um, if you read any of my books, you think she did a good job. It's because she's doing this to me. She's she's adding, she's subtracting, she's reordering, and she's clarifying. It bothers the hell out of me every time we get together because she does all this stuff and got to take that out. You got to add that. You got to move this around. You got to clarify that. But if you think about it, it all makes sense. Uh, here's a little excerpt. Add may seem obvious. Add words. But where and how? There's a Seinfeld episode in which George's girlfriend tells him she saw her ex and yada, yada, yada. Writers yada, yada, yada all the time. They avoid the hard scenes. They forget that readers can't read their minds. They collapse time. Yada, yada is funny in a sitcom 
it can frustrate readers, and a frustrated reader may wander off to get a snack and forget to come back. I think that's great. But I would say this, too. Authors don't always realize that what they're putting on the page is not clear because it might be in their head and they think they put it on the page and it hadn't quite got there. Is that your experience there? Yeah, I mean, I think this points to one of the major reasons why you need an editor and you need beta readers and other people to look at your work is sometimes you literally just don't realize that you're not putting things there on the page. (laughs) It's there in your head and you don't realize like, oh wait, this aspect of this character isn't really coming across or there's something that in a a literal sense is not explained that needs to be explained. Um, So an editor can help see that and be those sort of eyes that are outside of your head um, that don't know the story that's in your mind and can tell you what's missing or as as she says here also, what you need to subtract or reorder or clarify. Um, So I think that's really valuable to hear an editor's perspective on writing because, you know, we as writers just think of it from our, our end and it's good to hear what they're looking for too. Alyssa. Gosh, I don't know if I have anything to add. The, the importance of editors definitely came to mind for me as well. I think we've all read books before where we think, wow, that could have used a better editor for one reason or another, whether it's really silly mistakes being made or whether it's just that lack of clarity in the writing um, it's, it's absolutely necessary to have someone else look at your work always. Yeah, you can tell when a book hasn't, um, had a good editor, yes. uh, alongside, uh, the writer. Uh, and sometimes it's just, uh, the book didn't start in the right place. It should have started on page 50, you know, or, or sometimes there's just too much exposition, not enough dialogue or, uh, dialogue is more encyclopedic than it is natural, you know, all kinds of things that an editor, uh, can help with, um, So, uh, all right, up next, Alyssa. Yeah, so the next uh, essay that we have is On Writing and Creativity by Miranda Kossoff. Am I saying her name right? Do you all know? close, yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) Uh, So this is the one I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I really enjoyed and inspired me after reading it last night to prioritize writing 10 minutes a day. It explores her take on what it means to be creative and how to overcome this idea that you're not. Um, Here's an excerpt. People often say to me, I'm not creative or I could never write a book. I respond by asking, how do you know if you haven't tried? You may try, you may fail, you may learn something. You may try again with a new approach. You may succeed. Um, Another little excerpt that I really took away from this blog post are, some days I have nothing remotely brilliant to say other than complaining that I have to write it on the pages. Other days, an interesting idea pops up. Um, I really liked that. She almost gave me permission there to sometimes just go to the page and say, I don't know what to write, but I feel like I have to right now, and I just have to get something out of it. Um, so I really enjoyed this blog. Yeah, it's really uh, good. I, I've, we've heard this before, haven't we, Sarah, with people you know, say, well, I, you know, I'm not very creative. I don't know how to write mm-hmm. a book. And um, I mean, look, I didn't know how to do a podcast, and I didn't know how to write a book. I was a darn practicing lawyer for 35 years. And it's like, you know, you you step off the end of the plank and uh, see if you can swim. It's, uh, you know, give it a shot. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has the capacity for creativity, but the way you, you know, quote unquote, be creative is you do it. <laughs> kind of like we talked about earlier. You, If you're a writer, that means you have to actually sit down and write. Um, if you want to be creative, exercise that creativity, whether it means working on a pre-existing project or you can use writing prompts. Those are great ways of kind of getting those creative juices flowing. Reading can give you ideas. Um, I think everybody is creative innately. So you just have to kind of 
bring that out in yourself and, and take the time and put in the effort to actually make that a valuable part of your life. Um, yeah, which is a great segue into the next uh, blog post, which was written by none other than Sarah Arch. Yes. <laughs> I wrote this one called uh, Why to Join a Writer's Group and How. And this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I'm in a number of writer's groups um, of different types. And I think it's such an important thing for a writer to kind of find your writing community and figure out how you can be of service to other writers and vice versa. Um, Writing is inherently a kind of uh, individual, sometimes lonely thing. And so, you know, figuring out how to make those connections with other writers is, is really, really important. Um, and so in the article, I kind of talk about like what different types of writer group, writers groups are, whether they're critique groups or groups where you do writing prompts together or just kind of get together and, and spend some time writing and working on your own projects. Um, and also talked about, you know, how you can find writers groups or how you can even make your own and some tips on what you might want to think about if you're doing that. Um, The excerpt here is Googling writers groups in your area is probably the simplest and most obvious way to look for groups to join. Meetup.com specifically lists writers groups across the country. I found groups through libraries and local bookstores, so checking their websites or stopping by in person are also good ideas. And writers have a way of finding each other, so once you join one group, you may find yourself being introduced to others. Um, And that all comes from personal experience for me, for sure. I know, like, when I, before I even moved to Charlotte, I Googled charlotte writers groups or something like that and was looking for groups in this area um and that's how i found the charlotte writers club which also led me to this podcast i think that's how i met you landis um and led me to charlotte lit and and other resources in the area so yeah there's pretty much anywhere you go there's going to be some kind of writing community and certainly online there there are many groups you can join and people you can meet so i really advocate that for any writers to go out and find other writers yeah you, you know it's um the writing community is supportive. Uh, you will meet people. You will find out what they're doing that's creative. You might connect with them, as Sarah and I did. And who knows, a couple years later, when I'm doing the Beyond 300, I say, I'm going I'm to reach out to Sarah and see if she'd like to do this. And then, of course, I you know, can't remember how I met Alyssa, but then this is another thing. This has taken me over to the used bookstore at, uh, out there at Camp North End, and uh, I guess it was through uh, the co-working space we probably met. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so um, I don't know, Alyssa, are you in a writing group? Are you contemplating that? Uh, I've hosted them before through That's Novel and had small turnouts, and then I've also attended a couple of writing groups uh, through Charlotte Lit uh, prior to the pandemic. But it's something that I'm trying to get going again in the bookstore, so shameless plug. Hopefully we'll have something ready to go. I would love to um, have something kind of in place for November for everyone who wants to get involved in the National Novel Writing Month. Um, so I'm, fingers crossed, going to plan something for that. Yeah, I just, I'm listening here, and Sarah, I think we need to tap into some of Alyssa's energy, too, because mm-hmm. she's got a lot of good ideas, you know. We'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> be, be partnering some more with us novel books, I hope. Uh, uh, all right, so we got just a couple more here. Uh, How Filmmaking Has Helped Me Write Novels by uh, Timothy Reinhart. We might not all be filmmakers, um, uh, but this article explores how the discipline of filmmaking can make you a better writer. Uh, Tim's a writer. He's been on the podcast. You can listen to him there. Um, But he's also made some short films. And here's an excerpt that kind of talks about his um, theory. Words are precious. Being a Russian history major, I have a fondness for a thousand page novels. But one screenplay translates into one minute of film. Um, So I immediately faced having my script slashed. Uh, I'm sorry, one screenplay page translates into one minute of film. 
Uh, so I immediately faced having my script slashed. Appalled at first, I grew to understand how precious each word was. An actor brought this point home to me when he saw my draft and commented, this isn't dialogue, it's a series of speeches. <laughs> I did not initially agree, but then listened as this talented person reshaped my words to be sharp and witty. I soon changed my style of crafting dialogue. And kind of this kind of plays in, I think, Sarah, to what you teach in, mm-hmm. uh, in script writing, does it not? Yeah, for sure. Um, and Tim's a great writer. I always really enjoy his work. And this is so true. I, I think it's, it's a very, very valuable lesson from screenwriting that I've taken away that I kind of bring into my fiction work as well um, is that words are precious because when you're when you're writing a script in a very literal way words are money <laughs> time is money you know everything that you put on the screen costs money um, so every page that you have is an additional investment and so you really really have to learn to make sure that every word is earning its place and that it's there for a reason and you have to be very conscious of what you're putting on the page and and what purpose it's serving for the greater whole um, and, and that's actually one thing that's kind of nice about writing a novel is you don't have to be quite so disciplined about that but I do think that it's a really good practice to learn to to kind of question what you're putting in your work and why and how does it function into the the bigger whole and making sure that everything is earning its place um, I, I know when I write a script I always tend to write longer than the sort of typical word limits and so I have to go back through and make cuts and that's a skill that has been valuable to me in fiction too is knowing um, what's what's maybe repetitive or what's not serving some greater function or what parts just aren't as interesting. So yeah, thinking thinking like a screenwriter and imagining that everything you're putting down there on the page is going to cost you something, I think is helpful for any writer. All right, we're just three left in this next one. Uh, I think ties in well for what you do, Alyssa. Uh, I so, wondered if you'd done that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next one is called Crazy Book Guys by Kathy Pickens, who I adore. Um, this book, or sorry, this article explores the love of books, how to discover them, and how to help others who want to read but don't know what they like find a book that suits them. This is one of my greatest passions, owning a used bookstore. I love when people come in and ask for book recommendations. I love calling in with book recommendations. I happen to have a section on my website where folks can ask for recommendations and send me what genres or types of things they want to read, and I send them personalized ones. Um, So this one really spoke to me. Here's an excerpt. I feel like we're losing the battle. How can we serve as a guide to the magical book world? Give the newcomers confidence to find their own way. Through a book club, reading time with children in your life, being a reading buddy at school, books or store certificates for gifts, buying books when you can, putting a book you love in the hands of a friend who might love it. What's your path as a crazy book guide to bring books and new readers together? So, Alyssa, are you a crazy book guide? I love being a crazy <laughs> guy. I, I would love to call myself a crazy book guide. I think others would agree with that assessment as well. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Uh, well, yeah. All right, well, look, let's, uh, let's jump ahead here. Um, you're up next, uh, Sarah. Yeah. So um, our next article is called Get a Grip on Rejection by Carrie Knowles, which, you know, rejection is a subject that is always, I think, very present for writers and something that they – Um, like to talk about and kind of unpack. And the article explores the idea that rejection has value, but once the lesson is learned, it's time to move on. It's worth reading because she gives some kind of personal anecdotes about her own experiences with rejection and success on the other side of that, which is always inspiring to hear. Um, An excerpt is, when you get a rejection, 
Read it, think about it to see if there's anything to learn from it, then throw it away. Don't ever let your rejections define you or take up precious space in your files. Move on. Um, and I think that's that's such good advice. You know, you you can learn something from rejection sometimes. There there might be valuable critical feedback in there that you can take on board to actually improve your writing. But beyond that, there's just no point in like letting it occupy your mind and and dragging you down. Um, sometimes if you take rejection too hard, it just kind of paralyzes you and keeps you from actually writing. So it's important to be able to think, okay, what what can I learn from this? And then put it out of your head. And I think she, in a literal way, in her article talks about um, having like physical copies of rejections that she saved up that she has to discard. So you can do that literally or just the mental process of telling yourself, I don't need to think about this anymore, I think is really important. Yeah, and rejection, um, I mean, it applies to pretty much everything in life. But, you know, for authors, when we spend so much time alone, we finally get a book in the world and uh, we're trying to get in the world and we get rejected or we get bad reviews or whatever. A lot of times authors will take it personally. And one thing to keep in mind, and I've heard other authors talk about this, is, you know, it's not you, the person that they're rejecting. Um, it, it, you know, it's just, just maybe they just didn't like the particular book or a particular character. Maybe they're one of those trolls or haters that sits in the, in the basement in their underwear and just tries to find things bad to say on the Internet or whatever. So don't take rejection personally. And, and authors that I've talked to about this, uh, some of them have said, look, you know, if, if, not, if it's not working or you get some feedback, you know, don't let it stop you from doing the next thing. Just, just write the next thing. And, of course, um, you know, we've all experienced rejection. What are your thoughts, Alyssa? Uh, I am reminded of the common refrain that uh, Harry Potter was rejected 12 times before someone finally picked it up. So it's also a reminder that just because you've been rejected with one idea from one or two people does not mean that it's not still a great idea or it doesn't have a nugget of greatness in there. Um, so persistence is also key. All right. Last one, the Schrodinger's Cat of Writing, Show Don't Tell by Paul Reality. He's actually talked about this on the podcast, I think, in a tip. But the article explores this age-old advice to writers of Show Don't Tell. It reminds writers that some writing rules are made to be broken or at the very least tweaked. And here's an excerpt. The balance of showing and telling on the scene level varies by genre. For instance, literary fiction and memoir will have more exposition than thrillers and mysteries. This balance was also very widely inside a single book because this is how writers control pacing. Showing moves the story forward in real time. Exposition telling is time travel. It lets us skip over the dull bits like car rides, baths, staring out windows, and flashback to an earlier time or stop time entirely so that we can sit and listen to a character think. And I think that's really good. I mean, I love this idea that writing rules are made to be broken or at least uh, tweaked. Um, they're good guidelines as, uh, you know, the actor said in Pirates of the Caribbean about the about the pirate rules, but uh, you know they're just guidelines. They're not they're not hard and fast. And uh, if we keep that in mind, uh, we're good to go. And speaking of good to go, we got uh, one uh, you know little thing to say here, and then we're going to do our takeaways and what's coming next. Uh, so stay with us. Charlotte Readers Podcast is on social media, and we'd love to have you follow and engage with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Readers Podcast. Check us out. All right. Takeaways right quick. Uh, Sarah, your thoughts about uh, our episode today? Gosh, I feel like we, we talked a lot of, about um, motivation today and, you know, finding motivation to put your words on the page, whether it means finding motivation to, to make the time or overcoming rejection or, you know, digging into your creativity when maybe you're having some self-doubt. 
Um, and these are things that writers talk about a lot because they're just such a mainstay of the writing life um, that I think it's always helpful to remind yourself of those things. Remind yourself that you are creative. You do have something valuable to say. You have a story to tell. You just have to find it within yourself to do it <laughs> and just make the time and take the effort and, and don't be afraid to you know, write your terrible first draft, get it out there and, and make it better. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like we always have these discussions and then I leave feeling inspired to write. We're going to mm. record two episodes after this, but I'm like, I, I want to go off and write now. So uh, that's my yeah. takeaway. <laughs> and Alyssa, you're, you're joining us in the hot seat for the first time. What do you think of this thing called Charlotte Rouge Podcast? I am having such a blast and I, uh, same exact uh, feeling as you, Sarah, I'm so inspired to write right now. I know it's a reader's podcast, but we've talked so much about writing and the writing process today that I've just itching to grab my notebook and, and just kind of just scribble some thoughts later. So I'm leaving very inspired. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, writers are readers too, and or they should be anyway, yeah. <laughs> they're going to be writers. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought it was great. And I loved how we were able to, you know, with Hannah's first absence. Hello again, Hannah, uh, if you're still with us, uh, you know, have the uh, passports and pacifiers one tantrum at a time. That was fun. Put that in there. And uh, also um, hearing about characters as friends. And uh, it's been fun uh, being on the show today, both uh, with uh, you, Alyssa, and with Sarah. And Sarah, you're going to you're gonna take us into what's coming next. Yeah. Um, so we've got a great episode coming up next time. We've got um, Alyssa again with us co-hosting, which is going to be awesome. We have an interview with Bobby Finger about his debut novel, The Old Place, um, which I really enjoyed reading. It's a very funny but also emotional book um, about small town life in Texas, kind of based on the small town that he grew up in. And we're also going to take you through some more of the blog posts about writing that are available on our website. Lots of good tips and inspiration there. And we're going to get a blog post from our community blog um, about writing in your second or third language, written by Haitian writer Mickey Moore which is such an interesting topic and of course we'll always have you know our book recommendations community updates host updates and more all right listeners well until next time read on and write on